spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Monday, April 24th, we are studying 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 24. In today's text, St. John teaches us that as Christians, we must love our brothers, just as our brother Jesus loved us by laying down his life for us. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Pastor Wolfmuller serves at St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches, both in Austin, Texas. Thank Pastor you, Pastor Wolfmuller. It's been a while. Welcome back to Sharp Ryan. It has, but it's good to have you back. I was boycotting it since has, you but left it's Texas. It's good to have you back. Oh, I appreciate you coming back. I couldn't keep my protesting energy so high. So. Conceded. <laughs> we get to talk about First John today, Pastor Wolf Mueller. Help us with some context as we prepare. What a beautiful prepare, text. Part of chapter what a three. beautiful disciple that we have. Our brother Saint John, uh, the one who Jesus loved, who had the longest ministry, the only of the twelve, or I suppose the eleven, who was not martyred, um, excluding Judas, but maybe including Paul. So he died of old age, but had a lot of troubles, including exile. But he's the one who gave us not only the Gospel of John, but these three wonderful epistles, and also the Lord gave him the revelation of Jesus, uh, who was and is and is to come. So we have all that, and so here we have probably his condensed theology in his epistle, and we're right in the middle of it, where he's talking to the church, encouraging them um, to be who they are as the children of God. That's how. That's really the context here. There's two families. He understands two, there's two families on earth. There's the children of God, and there's the children of the devil, and God's family is marked with love and righteousness and life and the Spirit, and the devil's family uh, that, that has his the devil's seed in it is marked by sin and death and hatred. Uh, Cain is the example that we're given of uh, the, the, the devil's family. So it's these two contrasting families, and here's how the family of God loves it, or how the family of God lives. It lives in love, and we know that we're part of that family. How? This is an interesting thing that John's going to be working with. We, uh, we, we have the confidence that we're part of God's family, the assurance that we're part of God's family, by, uh, by love, our love for the brothers, also, and most especially, God's love for us. And we see in this section the, a, a beautiful summary of what it means to keep God's commandments. He says, we know we're his brothers. We, we know we're his if we keep his commandments. What are those commandments? There's two that we believe in Jesus, and that we love one another. So that faith in God and love for the neighbor is there as well. One of my favorite verses is in the text we're going to study because it talks about how do we have this assurance. He says, well, we our heart assures us, or maybe it doesn't, and it doesn't matter <laughs> because God's greater than the heart. And so the supremacy of the Word of God, which is that the seed implanted in us, is uh, is here put forth for us in a beautiful way. It's a, it's a absolutely stunning book. And, uh, and this section is a stunning section of this this most glorious text. Let's go ahead and jump right into this. Let's go ahead and 
jump right into this text then. We're starting with 1 John 3, beginning at verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. That is our text for today. That is 1 John 3, verses 11 through 24. Pastor Wolfmuller, how would you structure this text? Sometimes John is a bit hard to, to fit into nice yeah, well, he's, but how he's talking about the, these us? two different families, right? There's the way of the righteous and the way of sin, the, which is the way of life versus the way of death, the way of darkness versus light, the way of the devil versus the way of God. And we he puts us on this way of God. This is The contrast is Cain, who uh, shows himself to have all the fruits of, of the demonic family. And, and he says, but how do you know where you are? R- recognizing that this is one of the chief questions that we have, uh, how do we have the assurance that we belong to the Lord? And he and he's giving hints about how we have that assurance. So he's going to kind of walk us through. And then he's going to add at the end, uh, so here's what love looks like. Here's what the family of God looks like. And then he's going to add also the gift of the Spirit in verse 24, which I think is going to transition to a new section, really. That that verse 24 marks the beginning of of how, how would we say this, how how love manifests itself in pure doctrine. So how are we going to be concerned with truth and error? That's going to be his next section. So he, he's, um, he's kind of working through these, these two different ways, and uh, as we work through this, he's giving us the assurance that we are, in fact, the children of God. So he, he's, um, he's working on this gift of assurance uh, the, the, uh, of our salvation, which is so great because... Uh, Every theo- every confession is gonna is gonna really focus on on that in one way or another. How do I know if I'm saved? How do I know if I belong to Jesus? How do I know if my sins are forgiven? How do I know if God smiles or frowns at me? And if we find the assurance, it's like it's almost like the Lord set it up in such a way. If we find the assurance in the things that He has given us to have the assurance in, then then we have a true assurance. But if we look for that assurance in things that God hasn't instituted, or if we deny the assurance in the things God has instituted, then there's an assurance vacuum. And that assurance vacuum, I think, Pastor Apple, I, I think that that assurance vacuum is one of the chief causes of false doctrine, is that you lose the assurance of the Word, 
the absolution, which is what John's talking about here, of of love shown in our lives, also what John is talking about here. Uh, in other places, in John and um, in the scriptures, if, when we lose the assurance of the external word, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and it all becomes kind of internal, then we lose that assurance. That's why I think John is, is so helpful because he says, if our hearts condemn us, we have one greater than our heart so that assurance is found first outside before it's found inside. And so... So this whole text is pulling us outside of ourselves for assurance, which is, that's a, that's a, the essential move of Lutheran doctrine. When we talk about what Lutheran doctrine is, this is the key move. It says, look, it's not, it's not first and only inside of you in your own religious experience or feelings. It's first and foremost outside of you in the Word of God. And then that comes now into the heart as a gift, as faith, as assurance, and so forth. Talk more about that. Talk more about that thought of an assurance vacuum. So if there is an, ins- an assurance vacuum, then I, I would seek to fill it with something that is inside of me instead yeah. of outside well, of me? Is that, is that I what you're, that, you're driving so at? So we, we see it a couple of ways around us. This is just sort of American Christianity where um, we see the assurance in, uh, in, for example, the mystical experience of worship. I feel God close to me or in my own experience of surrender, or of my own experience in living the Christian life. So when I see myself doing good, then that must mean that I belong to the Lord. If I see myself sinning, it must mean I don't. So there's the pietistic answer, which is growth and good works. There's the mystical answer, which is the worship experience. There's the decisionist answer, which is that, well, you committed your life to Christ. That's you know, that, that, that's, this is the reason, ah, these, I love the Gideons, those guys are, they, they're so great, I was, just take that last page out of these Bibles that you guys are publishing, where you're supposed to write the moment, the time that you gave your life to Christ, and you're supposed to look at that for assurance, which is, it can't assure that my choice, my decision, what, what am I good at, I don't even, like, trust myself to to do the dishes on time, you know, much less. You know, if, so when when we put when we try to put our assurance on our will, our acts, our efforts, our feelings, then assurance becomes a a vapor. You know, you try to grab it, and you just there's nothing to get a hold of. Mm-hmm. Assurance has to be from the gift of God. So 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 to those who are struggling with assurance, we just have to underline this verse 19, where John says, uh And 20, so don't stop at 19. By this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. So if you're sitting there and doubting your faith and doubting if you're a Christian and your heart is condemning you, I just don't feel God. I just don't think God could love me. How could God accept me? Well, you have one greater than your heart, Jesus, who says your sins are forgiven. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. He says, I um, He says, I came not to save the righteous, but sinners. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, to give his life as a ransom for many. He's the one who says, take and eat, this is my body, this is the blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. So, so look, you get if you if your heart if your heart doubts God's love, then your your heart is wrong. That's the point. 
and we trust the, the, the Lord's word here, and we repent of feeling wrong about God, just like we repent of acting wrong toward God and thinking wrong toward God. Uh, our, our feelings are not... We, we live in a weird time where it's like, our, if you feel something, that's just, it is what it is. It can't be changed. or Like the immutability of feelings. It's like, I don't know how to say feeling in Latin, but it's like sola emotiva or something. Like motion, emotions alone. Well, when the when the when the Ten Commandments say you shall not covet, the Lord says, "Hey, I I claim even the the authority to rebuke not just what you think and what you say and what you do, but I have the authority to also rebuke what you feel, and especially if we feel what well, well, what is that commandments? If we feel affections for things that are forbidden." or desires for things that are wrong, they're rebuked. And what we're commanded is to feel rightly, but especially when our feelings become theological and our heart stands against the first commandment or our heart stands against the gift of Jesus, then our heart is wrong. That's what, you have one greater than your heart. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, let's work our way to those wonderful verses there in 19 and 20. We started with verse 11, and this is something that John has said multiple times. This is a big theme in his epistle. This is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Yeah, this is Help us the, the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament is Leviticus 19, love your neighbors yourself. Love is the summary of the law. Love, says St. Paul, does no wrong to the neighbor. So the essential teaching of how we are to live is love, and, and it's because God is love. This is the, this is the key insight of, of, the, of this epistle. God is love. And he loves us, and we love one another. This is, this is what it means to belong to God. Now, we have to be careful because um, love can be hijacked. And, you know, so in our own day, I, I was, uh, you'll like this story, Pastor Apple. I was lecturing at a higher things one time. They, they, I was there, if, uh, I don't know, I was doing something. And I said, well, if you have any sectionals, if you have topics that haven't been covered, then let me know and I'll do those sectionals. And so they're like, hey, well, we don't have anyone doing suicide and gay marriage. So could you take up those topics too? So, yeah, sure. <laughs> so I was lecturing on gay marriage. This is a couple of years ago. I mean, it was like a couple of years after Burgerfeld decision. And I had a big uh, slide deck and I had the rainbow colored flag and it said, love wins. And I'm lecturing, and I point to it, and a, a pastor friend of mine in the front takes a picture, you know. So, so now that's there. But th th it's an amazing thing is that this is the slogan for something like gay marriage, which is an abomination on God's gift of marriage and just horrific. And and they say, but wait a minute, it's love. Who are you to say that who I can love and who I can't love? Well, okay. A couple of things. The first is the basic act of right and wrong is the Lord telling us what things we should love and what things we should not love. I mean, what, there's Adam and Eve in the garden saying, why can't we love this fruit? Well, because I told you not to love that fruit. And, and this, is the, this is the whole point. Like, you can love the wrong thing. You can love doing the wrong thing. You can love being the wrong thing. You can love seeing the wrong thing. You can love. So, our, love has uh, 
it, it, it love is not some sort of a get out of jail free card. Like if it's love, then it's okay. No, love has to be rightly defined, and love looks very different depending on our different vocations. That's just an easy example. The way that I love my children is very different than the way I love my parishioners. If I went and like bought new shoes for all the members of the church, they'd be like, wait a minute, Pastor, you're supposed to preach to us. The love of a pastor for his people looks like preaching, shepherding, teaching. The love of a dad for his kids looks like new shoes and everything else involved in raising kids. If I love my neighbor the same way that I love my wife, that's called adultery. So that our love is defined by uh, our vocation. It's constrained by those sorts of things. So we live in a weird time where where the the this doctrine of love has love has been weaponized against the commandments rather than understood in the terms of the Ten Commandments. Now we we have to do some work to get that back because God is love. There I I heard someone talking one time that said, hey, you can't take that you can't take that word from us. That word is our word, love. And whatever it is that you're calling love is probably just lust. It's not after all homo relationships, which we would be all about that men should love one another in the in the right form of phileo, of, of brotherly love. We're for that. That's but that's not what's being argued. And and it's a it's a great danger where where love becomes romantic love or love becomes emotive love and love has nothing to do then with with God's ordering of the world or with service. So this is all very very dangerous stuff. Mm-hmm. So we have to love because God, in fact, is love. And so love is the summary of the Ten Commandments. It's if you Jesus says, What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. On these two words hang all the law and prophets. So if you take the Ten Commandments down to two, you have those two. And if you take the two down to one, you have one word. But understand that love is a is a summary of the law, not an abrogation of the law. And and and, and we know that. I mean, you know, we Remember when you were, it, this is a, like, and you go to the youth pastor and you're you're chafing against all this chastity talk. You're like, but what if you are really in love, you know? Like as if love is an excuse to, to be uh, sexually immoral or whatever. But the whole world is just acting like, you know, that out of control hormonal teenager now and is, and is bought into that argument. So anyway. Love is there because and and love is what gives. So God so loves the world that He gave. So love is not this taking, consuming, self-centered sort of rah rah rah. No, love is is giving and serving and dying. So the, the shape of love. So the the shape of love that John gives us here is going to he's going to compare it ultimately to Jesus, the love that he showed in verse sixteen by laying down his life. Here, when he talks about us loving each other, he says it shouldn't be like Cain. He murdered his yeah. brother. That's going to be the contrast. So John brings that up in verse 12. Help us into this you example imagine? of so Cain. Do, you, do you remember that part in Milton's Paradise Lost where it's after the fall and St. Michael takes Adam up on a hill and he shows him in a vision all of the Old Testament? And it's stunning because the first thing he sees is his children, Cain and Abel, and he's like, oh, wow. Because it's like, hey, can we still have, can we still be married? Can we still have children? The Lord says yes. So he sees Cain and Abel, and then he sees Cain murdering Abel, and Adam comes undone, and he says, this then is death? 
which is amazing to think about because he'd never seen death before. This is death. And the angel says, this is just the first form of death. And then it goes through the whole Old Testament to see all this. And, and Adam's like, what have I done? Now, this is an amazing thing that the first two children born to Adam and Eve, who were born in the likeness of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, end up one ends up murdering the other. And why? Is, uh, we, it's a beautiful thing to think about. Uh, Hebrews tells us it's because a- Abel had faith and Cain did not. Luther sees this whole thing, and as John does here, he probably Luther probably picks it up from this verse, that the whole history of the world is Cain versus Abel. It's the believers versus the unbelievers. It's those who have justification by faith versus those who claim a righteousness of their own works. It's the church in the world, the seed of the devil versus the seed of, of God. And, and so Cain is the, is the one who, well, he's, he ha, he's the oldest. He has the father's business. He's the farmer, not the rancher. He's the one who's settled. That's the farmer is the one that's more civilized. The rancher is the one out in the field. The, the only thing that Abel has is a sacrifice with blood. And that's his faith, right, is that he's not offering the goodness of his own beautiful self-defined works, but he's offering the sacrifice according to God's institution and his word where the shedding of blood is covering the forgiveness of sins. You've got to think that Cain is like, that's just ugly. And it's smelly, and it's nasty, and look, I've got something better. I'll offer the wheat there. It's beautiful. It smells great. Would you rather have a, I guess it's baking bread versus barbecue. Uh, now, that's actually not quite fair. Well, it, if you can't eat the food, they didn't eat the sacrifice, <laughs> that doesn't work right? Because well. they were still vegetarians at that time. So, so that doesn't even do you any good. The smell of barbecue, it wasn't of, it's not till Noah that they're authorized. So the only thing that Abel's used, he's raising the the animals for for clothing and for sacrifice right but according to the lord's word he offers a sacrifice and abel tries says i can do better and that idea that i can do better it not only is offensive to god but it also creates an animosity toward your brother toward the one who is accepted by god and but you but and you think that you're better so it creates a despising the, the the world who thinks the world always thinks it's better than the church it it also despises the church it's it's part of the ingrained nature of pride is that it uh it despises those who rejoice in the gift of the gospel John says we shouldn't hmm. be John says we shouldn't be surprised by that in verse 13 we we shouldn't be taken aback when the world hates us as Cain hated his Jesus brother. Jesus says, don't look, uh, the world hated me first, and if you're in me, you get that same animosity. And that that not marveling is a spiritual warfare thing. It's When Peter says, uh, don't be surprised by the various trials, he's, he's, he's shaping our expectations. There's nothing worse in the world, well, I mean, maybe I can imagine, but it's really bad when your expectations are not met, like uh, like, if you pick up a glass of water and drink Sprite, wah, it's I mean Sprite's fine, but like the shock of the sh- of the wrong expectation, it just really demolishes you. And and this is a, a marriage thing, a children thing. Uh, I you know when when 
kids expect something from their parents, when a wife expects something of her husband, and, and you get that expectation, it's frustrated, then it kind of throws you off. Some of my darkest spiritual times, this is what it was. It was where there was an expectation. I was expecting God to keep a promise that he never gave. And that'll, that'll just spin you right off into the dark night of the soul. And so when John says, don't marvel at the world's hatred, that's an important thing. It's that when persecution comes, we shouldn't be like, what? Persecution? I, I wasn't expecting that. Well, why not? I mean, they killed the prophets. And the Lord, page after, in, Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. So we expect the world to hate us. And if the world shows us a little generosity or pays attention or listens or whatever, we're, that's where the shock and surprise comes. We marvel that the world doesn't hate us as much as we expect it to, if that ever happens. That hatred from the world is the world, that family of the devil being what it is. You, you talked about that earlier, that this is the, there are two families here, the family of the world, or the family of the devil, and then the family of God. And that hatred is, is simply a part yeah, of right. what it means to be a That's part right. of that family. And so it's part of the, Paul talks about this in Galatians when he talks about the free, son of the free woman, son of the slave woman, and how the son of the slave woman persecutes the son of the free woman. So it's, it's, this is this is just the nature of the whole history of of the world and our own experience as Christians. So John is comparing, mm. so John is comparing these two families. We're going to keep looking at this on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Brian Wolfmuller this morning about First John chapter three. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, April 24th. We're studying 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 24 with Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. He serves at St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches, both in Austin, Texas. Pastor Wolfmuller, prior to the break, we talked about the hatred of the world toward those who are righteous, exemplified by Cain, hating and murdering Abel. That should not surprise us. John then draws the contrast in verse 14 to the family of God, the family of the church. He says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Talk now about the family of God. Yeah, this is, this is the contrast. So Cain hated his brother. The Christian loves their brother. And this brother is chief, This brotherhood is chiefly the Christian brotherhood, although the, the, the love that the Lord commands for us is for all people. We, we're commanded to love our enemy. And we are so that there's not a single person who is not outside of our Christian love, but there's a specificity to our love here, which has to do with those who are also uh, with us in the church. So Paul talks about this. Oh, what's the verse where he says, do good to all, especially those who are the household of faith. So that there's a unique care that the Christian has for, um, 
for their brothers and for their brothers and sisters. I, this would include all Christians here. And so that so rather than abiding in death and hatred, the Christian lives in love and life. This is always the contrast. And it's one of the devil's temptations, right, is to think that his, the God's commands are death rather than life. God's commands are burden rather than gift. God's way is is um, I don't know. It's 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 slavery rather than freedom. So the Lord the, the Lord is the one who's interested in constraints, and the devil is the one who wants you to live like you want to live. So the devil tries to throw those logs on the on the on the flame of our own sinful desires and say, you know, chase after those things. And any sort of limitation on your own appetite is understood as constraining and restrictive. Here the Holy Spirit is flam- uh, fanning into flame that desire to do what is good and right, which is to love. And he who does not love his brother abides in death. So that these are the two ways. These are the two options. We, we don't abide in death. We abide in life. So just to, to make sure we understand what John is saying here, when he talks about loving the brothers, he's specifically talking about loving Christians. That doesn't mean that we should not love those in the world. But here he is very specifically talking about the love that Christians would have yeah, for one exactly another right. within the and church. So he's t- th- these two families. So just as, I mean, we say, who did Jesus love? That's who we're supposed to love. And Jesus loved all. I mean, did, who did the Father love? He loved the world. That's why he sent his only begotten Son. So that's true. But there's a, there is a special love that the Christian has for their brothers and sisters in Christ, and especially when it comes to caring for them. So there's a, uh, there's a care that the Christian family has. Um, this is an important thing that we—I mean, we got to preach and teach this probably a little bit more, because— just like families care for one another, this is great, but the church is all serves also as a family. So there's a lot of guys uh, at, at church here, uh, St. Paul, and Jesus' staff too, but especially St. Paul, they're worried that they're going to lose their jobs because they're Christian, because they, they can't go along with all this LGBTQ AI stuff that's, that's happening in the workplace, and they, they think they're going to be alienated uh, and... But they're, you know, they, they're like stuck. Like, I don't want to say something because then I, I need my job. And we got to come along and say, look, we're this church. This is your family, too. And when you have your family, yeah. do you, you have some, prote- there's a protection there. There's an assurance. I was thinking about this. We used to um, host uh, uh, meals for um, those who were living on the street, those who didn't have homes uh, in Colorado. And so I'd sit with these guys who were, who were homeless, and I'd ask them how they got there, and they, it was very interesting. They would always talk about a, uh, an event, an injury, that caused them to lose their job and then lose their home. But I thought, well, what? How, that that can't be all because, like, if I got hurt, I got COVID a couple of years ago, and I couldn't work for I don't know three months or something. But say I would have, you know, been brain dead forever. Uh, I, I, I can't imagine being home. I, I couldn't have been homeless because the family, I, because my family would support me, because the church is rallied around me, because there's this great support structure that's there. So I'd, I'd ask these guys who were homeless, I said, what, you know, well, what about your family? Why can't you go live on your brother's couch or whatever? 
and the, you, you start to figure out what there's things that broke that family web. Mostly it was addictions of one kind or another. And when someone gets hooked into an addiction, if it's gambling or drugs or alcohol or some sort of sexual addiction or whatever, then their family becomes just for them like is good or bad in in as much as it enables their addiction. Everything becomes understood in terms of that particular addiction. So they break all these family ties and then there's nothing there's nothing there. So so that's a, a long way of getting around to this idea that that we need to we we need to well number 1 be sober, but number 2 to cultivate those the, the, the those webs of 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 care and support for one another. This is what God is telling us to do in the church. And there's a confidence that comes in that. Like if I know that my family, the church, is going to support me, it's going to catch me if I fall, it's going to take care of me if things get ugly, then I can be bold to, 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 st- to say what's true and suffer the consequences because I know that, that my, my, I have this love of God and of his people there behind me. But if I think that's just me against the whole world, that's yeah. that's very difficult. So so John interlaces us with one another in this in this love and care for each other. I, I really appreciate the way that you're talking mm. about that. I, I really appreciate the way that you're talking about that, especially in the context of the local congregation. I think sometimes when it comes to the world the word love and the way we would love our brothers or love the church, we tend to make it very abstract and think about people out there. But you're talking about the people you sit next to in the pew every day, the people that are communing next to you at the altar, those are the people that God has given us. I was going to do this. First and foremost. I think this this week or next week at church is challenge my congregation to, in the next three months, I think this is pretty simple, but it's but I think it's be transformed. In the next three months, to find another person or another family in the church and to go have dinner with them. You can go out to Rudy's Barbecue if you want, or you can have them over to the house, or you can go to McDonald's, Chili's, whatever. But if you're if you're single, it could be a family. If you're family, it could be a single person, two single people, whatever. It and if even if you're friends and you and you do it all the time, that counts this time. But next time, I want you to someone you know. But just to to realize that to, just to go and spend time with people in the church, because and it's just a very practical thing. Like, it's so much easier to come to church if you have friends there, if you have other people to talk to. And and we, as, I don't know, as pastors, we're like, look, this is not a social club. That means you should not know anything about anybody else. No, that's the—okay, it's not a social <laughs> club. It's a family. It's a family. The congregation is a family. Yeah. And we and we need to cultivate those things. So you look at the person next to you, like, I love you, even though I don't even know your name yet, but I love you because— we, look, we have the same blood, not only by creation, but here by the altar. We have the same blood, and this is uh, this is a gift that the Lord has given, so that we're caring for one another. And it's not abstract. That's the move that John's going to make in verses sixteen and seventeen. He says, "I'm not talking about some sort of abstract love, but a very specific love." Well, let's go there then. So verses sixteen. Well, let's let's go there then. So verses sixteen and seventeen. John says, "By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers." And then in 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So he gives shape to this yeah, love right. for it's, us. Um, Take us into those verses. The, the, so the whole, se- how do I know that I'm of God? It's my love for the brothers 
and so forth. But here he says, how do I know God's love for me? And it's the crucifixion. So the love for God for us is always primary. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as a propitiation for our sins. So that God's love is always, always primary. We can't forget that. So God, so John comes back and reminds us of this. How do we know love? We know love because he died, because of the cross, because of the crucifixion, because Christ laid down his life for us. And now, this is the new command that God, that Jesus gives, not just that we love our neighbors ourselves, but that we love our neighbors as Jesus loved. So the old commandment from Leviticus 19, love your neighbor just like you love yourself, which is the Lord's way of hijacking our like relentless self-love and directing it toward other people. He says, you know that same sort of care that you naturally instinctively have for yourself? You should bend that outward toward other people. But now Jesus is saying, I'm gonna, I have a, even a, a new command. I want you to love not like, I want you to love others not like you love yourself. I want you to love others like I love others. And this is the life-giving love. This is where we lay down our own lives. This is where we consider others better than ourselves. Uh, th- this is where the sacrifice of Jesus sets us free also to die in service to others so that, the, uh, so that um, our sense of self-preservation is, is given constraints and is brought into the service not only of God but also of the neighbor. It's beautiful. And then what does that look like? Hmm. What does giving up your life look like? It could look like martyrdom, or it could look like, you know, stepping in front of the bus. But it could also look like whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need shuts his heart from him. So it could look like paying for dinner. It could look like helping someone when they're, when they're stuck. You know, it, I mean, it could look like a good Samaritan sort of thing. That's laying down your life, which is really kind of a hassle because I'd rather you know, go out in a blaze of glory. But these little mini acts of service, this is this is death. And says so the, the stuff that I have is not, this is not my, this is not for me. This is for the neighbor. So that it stands as a constant rebuke. I mean, we, yeah. we can't get there, but this is a, it's a beautiful reminder that this is what we're here for. Yeah. And of course, why wouldn't we do something like this with the world's goods? One, because this is where bro- our brother we're talking about, one who, has the same blood as we do in Christ. And also these these goods of the world, they don't last. We, we think we hold on to them because we need them, but one day we'll die or one day the world's goods will be gone. John's already made that point. And so why wouldn't you give these goods yeah, right. to your brother? That's right. we're, we're, it's, this is uh, probably the point of the difficult parable of Jesus where the unrighteous steward, he, the, the children of the world know how to, how to win friends with the stuff that they have, and we're kind of foolish about it. So if you have something, it's not for you. It's for your, it's for your, it's for your brothers, which I, you know, it's it, the, the nearer brothers you we care for. So you're, we're caring for our family. This is what Paul says in, in first Timothy five, we care for our own, especially our household. And then the ones who are around us, this is especially our Christian brothers and sisters. We're, we're caring for them so that the, the Christian should have the confidence that, that the, that they're not gonna, that they're not gonna go hungry, <laughs> they're not gonna starve to death, unless yeah. the unless the devil and the world separate them from the Christians. Then then that's the the only way a Christian starves to death is if the devil somehow isolates them from their family, you know, by putting them in jail or whatever. Mm. Uh, but if we're if we are if we yeah. are at in the homes that the Lord has given, 
our family and our church, then then we're not going to go hungry. In verse 18, St. John says, Little children, let us love, in wor- not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So this is not just a matter of what we say, but it is a matter of what mm-hmm. we do, giving mm-hmm. to our brother who is in need. That's right. We say Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And then we say, love your neighbor. Love them indeed. <laughs> this is, hallelujah. This hallelujah. is a, it's a, it's a love that shows up in what we're doing. Now, some of us have the vocations of loving with word and tongue. <laughs> that's the office of pastor but that doesn't we should not exclude all the other stuff as well i mean that you gotta if someone it's it's hard for someone who's starving to death to listen to the gospel so right now then we come to verses 19 and 20 which you've you've said are, are yeah, I, think I think these so. are your favorite ones from this from this passage so and, and you've talked about them already how does how does what john say in, in verses 19 and 20 fit into what we've been talking about this this truth that reassures our heart. Well, here's the problem, God right? Because, greater than our heart. So, so there's, we, we don't, we can't see the heart. We, we just kind of get little echoes and hints of what's going on in the heart. But, but, you know, faith, if you can think of faith like, um, there's a, oh, I, I remember goofing around Australia when I was a kid and there was a river somewhere in Australia. It was flowing along. And then this river flowed under a mountain and then came out the other side. So, uh, I remember that. I should probably look it up if it's a true thing. But it's like you see the river, and then it's gone, and then you see it again. Well, this is kind of how the Lord works. Faith is the river under the mountain. You can't see it. You can't see into the heart. We even have a hard time seeing our own heart. And if we try to say, do I have faith? Do I have it's, it's just, it's, you're in some strange underground territory there. But faith is created by the Word of God, and, it, and good works flow out of faith. So we have, so when we say, do I have faith down in the heart? I say, well, how does God create faith? And what happens after I have faith? And so it's the word and the sacraments that create faith. That's the river flowing under the mountain. And then you have good works, which is the river flowing out of the mountain. So there's two ways to see faith. There's when it's visible. It's when it's, when the gospel is being preached and the baptism of the Lord's Supper are there, and then the works that follow. Now, we should take confidence from both. We should know that we belong to God, both because we are baptized and we taste the body and blood of Jesus when we have the supper, and also because we love the brothers. So the river flowing in and the river flowing out. The problem is that river flowing out is pretty muddy. It's flowing out, after all. It's flowing out of the muck of my own heart. And so when I look at that river flowing out from the mountain, I say, um, hmm, it's, it's a mixed signal. I mean, sometimes I, I love and sometimes I love myself. Sometimes I serve and sometimes I'm lazy. And that command to love always condemns us because we never love totally like we ought. So we have to look upriver and say, well, what about these things? Now, this is one of the problems of the Reformed faith of American Christianity is it doesn't ever look at, it doesn't say that the river flowing into the mountain has anything to do with it. It, it just denies it. It says you, it totally cuts it off. But when we have that assurance, then the assurance downstream is much stronger. But you can't just have the downstream assurance. You can't just have the assurance of love. And so John knows that. He says, look, our, when we love, our hearts assure us. But what if our heart doesn't? Like, what if we're unsure? 
if we've loved enough, if we've served enough? If, what, what, if, what if we see our own selfish motives mixed in to our service of love? If our heart condemns us, what then? And that's verse 20 is so comforting. God is greater than our heart. God is greater than your heart. He knows all things. So if, you, if, if your heart doesn't condemn you, if your heart is rejoicing in the assurance of salvation, God be praised. That's from the Spirit. But if your heart isn't rejoicing, then your heart is wrong. And God stands there to rebuke your sinful heart, which does not rejoice in the confidence that it belongs to God. And God knows all things. So, so that we trust in him. More than we, we trust what God says more than we trust our heart. I don't feel forgiven. Well, Jesus says, you're forgiven. I don't feel close to God. Well, Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Uh, I don't feel like I should stay married to this person. Well, Jesus says, you shall not commit adultery. I mean, whatever. Your, your, heart is, is, your heart is open to rebuke because God is greater than your heart. I mean, how hard is that? It's not a really, hmm. like, hey, God's greater than your heart. Well, that doesn't seem like a hard truth, but it's a, it is key. It's so important. So, like St. Paul would say, we, we live by faith, not by sight. Or to use this language, mm-hmm. we live by faith, not by feelings. You know, we, we let, or not by our heart. We live by what God says, not by what we feel or think. Let God's word run right. the show, not right. our heart. I know, it's like my 90% of my work as a pastor is like, well, people say, well, I feel this way. And then I say, well, I don't care. I don't, I mean, that sounds bad. Maybe you say it yeah, more gently. You say it more winsomely uh, than that. <laughs> I don't feel like, I don't feel forgiven. Well, look at what we've got here. I mean, Jesus, he saved a lot of people. He was really, really good at saving people. But finally, we've got someone who's managed to sin so well. You're such a profound good sinner. You're so adept at, at your godlessness that you've managed to find a sin that Jesus' blood can't cleanse you you alone of all people have managed to to out sin the grace of the son of god it's amazing i don't even know if i'm so maybe that's not not how to talk but this is the point like look okay your feelings are uh your our heart also is fallen and so our own feelings and our own sort of inner conversation and all that kind of stuff it it is just as sinful as the as everything else uh, and so we get, we get, we got to trust the we got to trust the word of God, and let our feelings come along. It, we it, how about this? We remember in the old Simonex fight, we talked about the ministerial versus the magisterial use of reason. Hey, our our reason has to serve God's yeah. word, not lord over it. Well, we have the ministerial use of feelings. Our feelings have to serve God's word, not lord over them. So so John says, like even in verse 21, which is the next one, if our heart does not condemn us, God be praised. If our heart assures us of God's love, well, that's the heart doing what it's supposed to do. We, we rejoice in that. It's not like we're totally against feelings. We're just against wrong feelings. It, we're, we're, that our feelings have to serve what God's word says. So if I feel forgiven, God be praised. If I feel not forgiven, well, I repent of feeling the wrong way about the love of God and the blood of Christ. Yeah, yeah, and trust in what God says more than your feelings. In verse 22, then, John says, Whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And then he says, this is his commandment. And I think you mentioned this. There's really two. We believe in the name of the Son of Jesus, his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Yeah, John picks up on this from Jesus also, that 
that um, that prayer and obedience are connected to one another. If you do what I will, ask what you want. So that should be, our, our natural reading of that is that if we're obedient to God's commandments, then he'll give us, he'll give us what we ask for. I, I think it should be better understood in this way, that in order to keep his commandments, he, he does not leave us on his own. He, he does not say, hey, you got to keep the commandments by your own resources, and then I'll reward you by... It's like, it, it's not like if you clean your room, then I'll give you a dessert kind of thing. Like, do what you don't want to do, so then right. you, I will give you what you, I don't want to give you. No, the Lord says, "I've set, I've given you these commandments, and I'm, but I've, I'm not given them to you for you to do by your own resources. I'm here to help you. So in our life of, of keeping the commandments of God and living in a righteous way, the Lord is, that's what we're praying for, and that's how the Lord is helping us. So the, the." The, the things that we're requesting are things that are in line with the commands that he's given. And then and then he unfolds that so that we don't understand it in a legalistic way. But he says, well, if you keep his commandments, what are those commandments? Well, number one, that you believe. So, so our first prayer is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And then that we love. And so then our, command, our prayer is, Lord, give me your spirit so that I might begin to love as you have completely loved. So that our prayer is in line with those, with, with his commandments. So the Lord is saying, look, I know that you can't keep these commandments on your own. This is the whole point. I mean, apart from the Spirit, we can't even begin to keep the commandments. The Lord says, I know you can't do it on your own. Therefore, therefore, pray, and I'll answer your prayers, and I'll help you. When our heart... So when our heart condemns us, then we have the confidence that God is greater than our heart. And so in that confidence, we ask God for that very thing that our heart was condemning us for. I, I know I didn't love. So part of my, my response of faith is not only trusting that God is greater than my heart, but then asking him for his help to do that love that he's given me to do in the first place. And then trusting that yeah, he will, in exactly. fact, answer that prayer. Exactly. That, and that prayer for the Spirit is the one that Jesus has promised us. The Father will give the Spirit to all who ask. Yeah. That's why almost immediately after talking about prayer, the conversation of the Spirit comes up. This is the basic Christian prayer is for the Holy Spirit. When we read the Bible, Lord, send us your Spirit so that we can understand your text. When we, when we go to, le- to love and serve our neighbor, Lord, give me your Holy Spirit so that I can love and serve them. And, under, and understanding that the Spirit comes, whew, this is important. The Spirit is the God of order, remember, Spiritual things are orderly things, or to uh, say it in maybe more common, that the, the Spirit comes to give us the gifts necessary for our vocations. So every Christian has the Holy Spirit to confess Jesus as Lord and to trust. And then now, whatever vocation the Lord has given you, he gives you his Spirit to help with your vocating. <laughs> so the Spirit comes to moms with motherly gifts and to and to teachers with teacherly gifts and to uh, to workers with workerly gifts so that so that the, the Holy Spirit comes to pastors with the gifts of the word and so forth so that the, so that the Holy Spirit comes with gifts according to our calling and vocation 
It's why when Jesus was baptized into the office of Messiah, the Holy Spirit descended. It's why when we confirm the kids into being public confessors of the faith, we pray that the Holy Spirit... Did they not have the Spirit before? Or you remember... Do we have time for a joke, or are we getting low? Oh, you got about two minutes. So you that, can tell a joke we, you know, the story of the pastor being ordained, and uh, the pastor, the, the ord- ordinator laid his hands and prayed for the Holy Spirit, and the man in back leans over to his wife and says, we should have got a pastor who had the Spirit already. Well, no. <laughs> the man had the Spirit already, but now he's entering into the office, and so the Holy Spirit comes with gifts for the office. So here we have this gift, of th- this love, uh, the, the, the command to believe and to love, and now the Holy Spirit is there to help us with this. And he helps us then also with distinction. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is verse 24. But the Spirit who comes... But here, Luther uh, summarized this, verse 23, in the prayer that we pray after we have the Lord's Supper every Sunday. That, we would, that the Lord would strengthen us in faith toward him and in fervent love toward one another. And this is, the, this is our whole life. This is the commandment. We believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another. So faith toward God and fervent love toward one another, that's, that's the whole of it while we live here below. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller is pastor at St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches, both in Austin, Texas. He has been helping us today to study 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 24. Thank you. Pastor God Wolfmuller, be praised. Thanks for being our guest today. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about the first, first John, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.